I really feel like God is already moving here in the worship. And um, a couple of things that on the, when I was driving down here, I drove from Rapid. Well, I'll just introduce myself first. I'm Ananda Peters. I know a lot of you. My husband Joe and I divide our time between Rapid City and Hay Springs. Our business is in Hay Springs, but we got our kids in school in Rapid. So we're like constantly traveling. So I had a long drive this morning, which was awesome, and I was praying. I said, God, what do you want to say? Because I already felt like he gave me a real clear message to speak. And um, he, God said to me, you need to speak a word to Cisco. And I said, I'm pretty sure I said this last time I was there. Are you sure you want me to say it again? And then just through the, what you just shared, it was really clear, yes, that this was God speaking, that he wanted me to tell you the, these words, that you have an uncommon gift. Um, and he, he just, I'm sure he's already spoken that to you, that you know that, and he wants to reinforce that to you, that um, it's not a common thing. A lot of people can play music, but this house, when you worship, fills with the heart of worship, and that is uncommon, a place where God is really welcomed. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says, um, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. And I feel like that's what God's saying to you is that he is going to open big doors. And don't, um, just, just let him do it, was basically, just let him do it because he is, it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And the fact that you can handle it with the humility and the continued seeking of the Lord is really powerful. Um, let's pray before I start. Father, I just thank you for this word that you've given me. I pray that it comes through the way that you want it to, that I don't get in the way um, with being self-conscious, that, Lord, that you can just flow in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there was another song when we were singing this morning, The Goodness of God. Um, my message this morning is What Mary Knew, and that song, The Goodness of God, when my mom was at the end of her life about almost two years ago, she was so weak, she was dying from pancreatic cancer, and we would put that song on, and it would say, um, with every breath that I am able, and my, she had barely any strength, and she would say, with every breath that I am able, and it was so powerful just to see her worshiping God right up until the end. Um, this message this morning is very specific, and that goes along with it. And I didn't really want to talk about my mom because I didn't want to cry, but then when the worshiper, worship leader starts crying, I'm like, okay, I'll go there just a little bit. <laughs> that there is a really powerful connection between moms and their kids. And at this time of year when we're remembering um, the birth of Jesus, we have to remember also his mom, Mary, and what she um, was going through, uh, I believe there's a message for moms here today. It's not just for moms, but for, for all of us. But very specifically, when I sat down to pray about this, I felt like God was saying, um, like it was very clear. So I don't know a lot of your stories, but, but God has a really specific message for mothers here today. Um, he wants you to know that he is in the family relationships uh, there's a very, very powerful connection between mothers and their children. It's, it is God-designed. It is God-sustained. It is unique. It is beyond natural affection. It is a spiritual connection 
that God gives us. So whatever things look like in the natural, um, that's not the relevant thing. God wants us to grab hold of that supernatural connection. It is fierce and powerful, and to use that connection with our children to fight for them. Um, And that's kind of the theme of what I'm going to be saying. I'm going to communicate it through the story of Mary because it's really to think about what she went through. Um, I like to use my Bible. I know it's easier to use your phone and look things up, but for me, it's, um, I like to just see where things are at. So I'm going to turn to Luke 1, 26 to 23. Okay, so, so these are different things that Mary knew, okay? The first thing is that Mary knew that she had heard from God. So Luke 1, starting in 26. Now the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, but you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary knew that that was a word from God. And just in a general sense, when God speaks to us, the first thing we think is, was that me or was that God? Well, you take it as an opportunity to seek God and say, God, was that you or was that me? In this case, Mary knew because that was an angel. She knew that it was from the Lord. And the next thing that she knew is that the promise, the task, the vision that he had given her was not possible. It was impossible in the natural realm. She was not married yet. Um, Starting in verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. So it was impossible in the natural, but with God nothing is impossible. So this task, too big for for her. Um, But Mary knew how to respond to God. And this is, I just love this. In verse 38, she says, Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. And there's a verse, in, or there's a word in Psalms that gets repeated, Selah, which means, hey, think about this, pause and reflect. I just thought, okay, that's, that's a moment, if we had that word in the New Testament, that we would pause and reflect let it be unto me according to your word. When God speaks to us to have that response, God, let it be unto me according to your word is so powerful. 
So she knew how to respond to God. And then the other thing, Mary knew, because she didn't have the New Testament, obviously, she was in the New Testament as it was being lived out, but she had examples of women from the Old Testament who didn't fully trust God. And I think we can learn from that a lot. I tell my kids when they're like, mom, you shouldn't do that, or mom, you did that wrong, I say, well, you can learn as much from what I do wrong as from what I do right. Just learn how not to do it. And so Mary, I want to talk about a few women from the Old Testament that Mary had their examples. And the first one is Eve in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. We all know this story. It goes right back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant for the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So we all know that story, but, but this is an example of a woman who listened to the devil, and she listened to her flesh, and she gave into it. So Mary, you know, she heard that story, and she knew that's how not to react to God to listen to what Satan is saying, to listen to our flesh, that's a bad example. Um, I want to talk about Sarah in Genesis 16, 1 to 4. This is another example. Now Sarah, well, okay, so she was Sarah, I think is how you say it at this point, but her name was changed. I'm just going to say Sarah because it's easier. Um, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So Sarah... Um, listened to her own understanding. She knew God wanted her, wanted Abraham to have children, and she's like, okay, look, it's not working for me. Why don't you be with Hagar? So she is a really, um, I mean, to our minds, it was a very stupid plan, but in her mind, it made sense to do this. So she listened to her own understanding. She listened to her problem-solving skills. And then we see it again um, with Sarah in Genesis 18, 9 to 15. And just a little background here, we see uh, three men coming to visit Abraham. And we understand this. Um, it's kind of a confusing package or passage. It's one of those that theologians like to talk about because it, it says three men came, and then it says, and the Lord spoke. And this is not small l, like a landlord. This is Lord as in Jehovah. This is the holy name of the Lord. So, um, so it's believed to be, I mean, it's pretty clear that this is an appearance of God in the flesh, um, and uh, possibly a, a lot of 
scholars believe that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And there's different reasons for that. Um, I won't go into it too much. The fancy word for an appearance of God is a theophany, and for an appearance of Christ is a Christophany. Those are just the scholarly terms, but basically that God appeared in flesh to them. So so here God appears to Abraham, um, and we see, okay, in 18, starting in verse 9, um, these men say to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham says, here in the tent. And he said, so this is the angel of the Lord, the This is God saying to Abraham, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, and my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. I like that. No, you did. God knows. (laughs) No, you did. I heard you. I know what you're doing. So that's just another example of Sarah leaning on her own understanding. She just, in her mind, cannot, you know, this is ridiculous. I can't see this coming to pass. Therefore, I, it's just funny to me. Um, and so that's not how to respond to God. When God speaks to us, like, <laughs> you're kidding, right? Like, that's so silly. Like, God gives us impossible dreams and visions in our heart, and he wants us to just say, yeah, let it be unto me according to your word. So, um, the other woman that I want to talk about, I'm kind of whipping through them because it's not, this is just a little background, but is uh, Lot's wife. And this is just one chapter over in Genesis 19. And I, I think I won't read the whole packet or the whole passage, but it's Genesis 19. I must have Christmas packages on my mind. <laughs> I keep saying package, and I'm like, oh, I've been Christmas shopping all week. Um, this is Genesis 19:15 to 26, and this is when God um, is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, and He said He comes to the, these men again, same incarnate Lord comes to take them out of the city, Lot and his family, and um, He takes He takes them out, and then we see He said, "Don't look back. I'm going to take you out of this. Do not look back." Um, but in verse 26, Lot's wife looked behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So um, I won't get into what that means. There's like different interpretations, but I would just take it for what it means that there was, you know, probably a lot of sulfur raining down and, and she was, her life ended because she refused to listen to God and she listened to her heart. It's easy to look at her and say, oh, she was, like, why would she do that? Why wouldn't she obey? But we have to remember, she had kids in that city. She had family. She probably had grandkids. And God's saying, get out of here. And her sons-in-law are like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, they're like, they're not believing it. And, and she has to make this choice. Am I going to go with God or am I going to stay where my heart is? And she, she followed her heart. So that's not always a good thing, to follow our heart. We have to follow the Lord. Um, 
So those were the three examples. We had Eve, who listened to the devil, Sarah, who listened to her own understanding and problem-solving abilities, and then Lot's wife, who listened to her heart. Um, so Mary, she had access to those stories. Um, and I think, I mean, we don't know for sure, but I would assume that Mary knew those stories because she was a woman of incredible wisdom. We know wisdom comes from the Word of God. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 12, I'll read that one. This is about um, talking about why we have these examples from the Old Testament. Okay, now these things, these stories from the Old Testament, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents." nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we can all learn from the stories in the Old Testament of how to do things right and how to do things wrong. And I think Mary had the wisdom to understand how not to respond to God. So she gets his word from God, that you're going to have a son, um, he's going to be the son of the Most High, and she says those powerful words, let it be unto me according to your word. Now, she would have known immediately, she's going to be criticized, she's going to be not believed, very possibly shunned. She knew she was going to be a first-time mother and had no doubt seen the struggles that women faced when they become mothers. Um, the there's so many, almost too many to list, but I don't know if I mentioned, I have eight kids, and so their age is like three to 20. My oldest son is here today, um, and so that's like a lot of years of dealing with kid issues, and when you, but it, I mean, it's good. I'm not complaining, but like there's a lot of things that go with becoming a mom. There's the baby blues that you get when you're postpartum. It's like, oh, just crying nonstop, and um, just trying to deal with those hormones or, you know, struggles with milk supply, like too much, too little. You can have family that's too helpful or not helpful enough. You can have, um, you know, just so many different things, so many challenges. Um, lack of sleep, that's a huge one. And in that culture that was very family-based, Mary would have seen this. Okay, so she's a young woman, early teens, and she knows, okay, I'm going to have to go through that. I'm not married. I'm going to have the reproach of that. So all of the, I just picture all these things going through her mind. And, and then something else that she would have known immediately, and this is huge, that before she even felt that baby inside her, before the first kick, before the first hiccup, I mean, that is the cutest thing. When you're all of a sudden you feel the first hiccup. You're like, that's so funny. There's a baby hiccuping inside me. But she never got to the point of that. She never felt the foot digging into her rib nonstop when she was pregnant. Before she knew, immediately she knew 
this baby is going to die. Like, she, she's a kid, and she knows, okay, I just picture her processing, okay, all these things, and oh, wait, if this is the son of the Most High, he's going to die. Oh, my gosh. As a mom, like, when you experience the death of a baby, whether it's in your womb or out of the womb, I mean, it is like the most traumatizing thing, and she's not even there yet. She didn't even feel the baby yet. She didn't even have a chance to tell her her fiance that she was going to have a baby, and, and she is faced with the realization, oh, he's going to be put to death. And the reason she would have known that, there's over 300 Old Testament scriptures that prophesy about the coming Messiah. Many of them talk about his death. The most common portion, this is so familiar at Christmas time, Isaiah 53, 3 to 12. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation just because it's so conversational. I like how it comes across. It says, he, now this is, of course, Old Testament, looking forward to Christ's coming. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience... My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for many rebels. So Mary, oh, just like that picture of her, just being a young mom faced with that. That's, that's who I'm pregnant with. I'm pregnant with that, uh, the Messiah of the world. Now, I don't know if she understood, because a lot of people didn't understand. We know that from the scriptures, that, that he was coming to reconcile, in a spiritual sense, people to God. They thought he was coming to be an earthly ruler, that he was going to overthrow Rome. So we don't know where Mary's mind was at, but there was something very clear, was that he was going to die. Um, and as a mom... And I really, I really felt like God was saying that he wanted to say something to the moms here. So it's, it's for everyone, but especially to the moms. Okay, and I will say, I don't think the men mind being excluded at Christmas time because I was at Target yesterday, and every husband there looked the same. He looked like this. 
I did not see a single husband that looked like he was happy to be Christmas shopping with his wife. And I thought, maybe, I mean, it was super crowded. I thought, maybe if every wife, if we just gave our husbands Christmas shopping off and just said, honey, you stay home, we would have half as many people in the stores, and we, our husbands would be twice as happy when we got home. So maybe we can consider that for next year. But anyway, all that to say, I don't think my men mind being excluded a little bit. Um, as a mom, just thinking about Mary, when you, when you have kids, it's like your, your heart is like walking around outside your body. I heard someone say that, and I was like, oh, that's exactly what it's like. It's like everything they do, you're so happy when they're happy. You're sad when they're sad. You see them make bad choices. You're like, no, don't do that, you know? Um, yeah, because we are, we're designed to be those full-on mama bears. We're designed to fight for our kids to the very end, to sacrifice. I mean, from the moment they're born, we're sacrificing sleep, the most precious thing. We're, we, we give it up because we want what's best for our kids. Um, we do everything to keep our kids safe, to help them do well in life. And when a child dies, your soul is like torn apart. Your heart's just ripped in pieces. And, and Mary had to face that. Um, I think she understood. I don't know for sure. This is speculating. But I think she understood the importance of the mission because she didn't fight with God. She didn't say, God, no, I can't do it. She said, let it be unto me according to your word. Jesus was coming to reconcile all of humanity to God the Father. And it was really, really a big deal. Um, Mary knew she could not walk with God alone. She couldn't carry the burden alone. She went to visit Elizabeth, was comforted by her. And then we see Mary knew the character of God. And we see that in the Song of Mary, which is in Luke 1, 46 to 55. This is the last scripture I'll read. But I, as I read it, I want us each to just really think about um, this. And like, this is a personal prayer, Mary crying out to God. Thank God that we have it. We have a copy of it. But it can be for each one of us. So just think about this. Think about like praying this to God for us. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So I just, I love that. I think it's like, okay, God, you, I know your character. You are good. You're going to see me through this. Whatever it is that we go through, God will see us through it. We, in 2020, I had shared this another time when I was here. I had a three-month-old baby. I had seven other kids besides, and I was diagnosed with cancer. I was like, you're kidding. Like, I don't have room for cancer in my life. And um, it, was, it was a horrible, I had going through the surgery, the treatment, all of that. And it was terrifying for me, the idea that I could actually leave these kids without a mom. And, but the one thing 
that I didn't see at the time that I could look back and see was what God did in me because I was constantly putting scriptures on my phone. Every time I get a good scripture, I would like copy it onto my phone and I just read those scriptures over and over and it was all about the character of God. That it wasn't, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but I knew that God is the healer. I knew that God is with me in the struggle. God is faithful. God is, and it was just so much focusing on the character of God. And I'm, I mean, it's been almost four years. I'm so, I guess, three and a half. I'm cancer-free. I praise God. Um, he was merciful to me. But it is scary to go through those things. They seem overwhelming. Just like Mary's task was impossible, sometimes things in our lives are impossible. But God gets us through it. Um, so let's see. I think I need to be done because it's noon. And so I just wanted to say, I just want to talk about the family relationship, that there is brokenness in families. I think that comes from we are all broken people. So you put us together, and there's bound to be brokenness. And we just a couple weeks ago had a big blowout with my little brother. And I thought, oh, my family, we're, we're good. My siblings and I, we don't fight. But this was quite a blowout. And um, just as I got back into my prayer closet, I was like, okay, what does that mean? Like, if trust is broken, what, what does that look like? You know, so a lot of times it's, number one, forgiveness. I mean, that's non-negotiable. We're commanded to do it. You won't get anywhere without it. Um, and love and praying. And sometimes that means loving from afar. It's not always like, let's be best friends. Let's, sometimes it's okay. But just continuing to pray for one another. And... Um, So I guess I, I really want to just emphasize that one point, that in our family relationships, God is there, and specifically in the relationships with our kids. So I, I don't know if that's like for a specific person or if God is just saying that all to us. Um, this, is, this is the word that I felt like he was saying. Um, to let yourself, each of us, let ourselves love our children in that primal, instinctual place, in that place where we've been hurt before. Open your heart again in that place and trust God to do the healing. Don't hold back. Those walls that you built up to protect your heart are not real walls. They are lies the enemy wants to use to prevent you from using that superpower of mama bear love, that, that love that fights for our kids, open to open ourselves to that because God will bring the healing. He will bring the breakthrough. So we're to walk into the arms of Jesus and to just declare with Mary, let it be unto me according to your word. And, and that can be in every area, specifically with our kids, to trust God for that. So we will, I think um, Terry wanted to open up the altar. Let's just, let's just pray. Father, thank you for the message that you brought forth today. And I pray, Father, that um, you just touch our hearts with your word to trust you, to trust your character, to trust you in our family relationships, to know that the dreams and visions that you've given us, the tasks that are impossible, are possible with you, Father. And I pray for healing. I pray today, Lord, that there will be testimonies of healed family relationships in Jesus' name. So if anybody 
is in need of prayer, we just invite you to come on forward, and Ananda and I will pray for you, pray with you. And for the rest